Did you just say thanks, Pastor, for singing along? (laughs) I did just turn my mic on, though, so. All right. Well, we're back, or we're still in 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. We're starting chapter 5, so take your copy of the Scriptures, if you would, and open to that passage of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, You know how we often say, like, when it's Mother's Day or Father's Day, and by the way, children, you are dismissed to Children's Church if you're heading in that direction. Um, You know how we often say on certain days of the year, this sermon is not just for moms, even though it's a mother's sermon, or this sermon's not just for fathers, even though it's a sermon on Father's Day. Well, there's no special day today that I'm aware of. I mean, there probably is because you can can Google what day it is and you'll find out there's all kinds of crazy days. But anyway, um, this message this morning is mostly for me. What do you mean, Pastor? Why are you preaching a message for you? Well, when we read our text this morning, you will understand why I said that. We're moving into this final chapter of the book of 1 Peter, and although he's addressing the church as a whole, Peter is fine-tuning his focus to a particular group within the body. And that group is charged by Peter to carry out their task as God has instructed them. And this morning, Peter's focus is on the overseers of the flock. Now, as we get started this morning, um, you know, you've heard me say before that I'm, I had to preach this to myself before I could preach it to you. Uh, usually that's a, a message that I have to deal with something in my life before I can present it to you or work through it so I understand it the best that I can and, and with the Holy Spirit. Spirit's help we present in a way that is honoring to God. But this one is actually kind of like, I, I wasn't going to wear steel-toed shoes this morning, but I didn't, don't have any. So, But anyway, this is mentioned, this is directly towards pastors, okay? Now you say, okay, so I don't have to listen, right? Well, no, that's not true either, um, because everything that we hear in the pages of Scripture is beneficial in some way or another to us, and we will make application to all of us this morning, uh, and not just to pastors. And by the way, um, maybe God's working in your your heart and uh, he's directing you towards that line of ministry. It's not unique. It's not something that only certain people can do. There's even things called lay pastors, okay? Um, And so perhaps God might be working in your heart to that direction. If he is, we have this great ministry from the Northeast Fellowship called the NSTM, which is the Northeast School of Theology and Ministry. Um, And we would love to encourage you to take a class or two. Uh, just Even if you just want to see what it's like, sign up, take a class. And the more people that we have in our area that are taking classes, the sooner we can open this campus as an NSTM host site. Okay. Um, so anyway, just thinking about that along those lines, if God might be stirring in your heart for that type of ministry, uh, we'd love to help you pursue that. Now, um, Peter here is talking to a group of pastors. He's talking to uh, the pastors who are reading this letter. This is a circular letter, so it's going around to several different local bodies of believers. And and Peter's saying, hey, listen to this. This is important for you to understand as you minister to the people that God has entrusted to your care. Peter is addressing overseers, if you will, in the church. So who is he talking to? Well, he's talking to, uh, you tell me, what are some other names for overseers in the body of Christ? Pastor? 
Somebody said deacons, elders, bishop. Okay. All right. So I want to talk about these words a little bit before we jump into our text. The first word that Peter uh, uses or that we understand as referring to the office of pastor is that of elders. Okay. In the Greek, I think this is on the screen there, Timothy, if you, if you want to advance to that. Um, yeah, I got to stop and think for a minute, make sure I did put my notes in, but I did. I was working on it this morning because I had my stuff already earlier in the week and I had to load it up this morning. Okay, elders. Um, it's the Greek word presbyteros. Does that sound like anything you might be familiar with? Presbyteros? Presbyterian, okay. Um, so Presbyterian, that's a denominational uh, group of individuals. And they chose that name because it sort of reflects, I say sort of because it used to in years gone by more so than it does now, um, but it used to reflect their type of church government, okay? Uh, and a, a Presbyterian church was generally elder run, elder rule, okay? Uh, the word presbyteros is the word elder, and it comes uh, to us from uh, the history and the, and the tradition of churches where a person or people were committed to the direction and government of the individual church, okay? So the congregation didn't really get a say in how the church was run, it was the presbytery that ran the church, okay? Uh, and so they, they, they get the idea that it's the elder rule type of church. And some of them will look at Acts chapter 14, verse 23, or, or Titus verse, chapter 1, verse 5, where that word is used, not necessarily in church government style, but used to describe the office, the form, or the function of the role of a pastor. So you have the word elder. You also have the word overseer. Okay, the word overseer. Now that Greek word is episkopos. Episkopos, any sound familiar to you for any reason? Episcopalian, okay? So there's a group of churches, the denomination called the Episcopalian churches, uh, and they get their name for their denomination from this word, overseer or episkopos. It's the word that used, that's used to uh, in the church to speak of an office or local body of believers, and the overseer or the bishop is one who is appointed as a leader of the church to look over the physical and spiritual well-being of God's people. So when these two words, elder and overseer, or presbyteros and episkopos, are used in the text, it really doesn't talk about the form of government, okay? It talks about the office of the pastor. And we see that in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where where Paul called together the bishops, the overseers of the Ephesian churches and had a meeting with them. We see it in Philippians chapter 1 where Paul is addressing the bishops. 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul gives qualifications for elders and pastors and later on deacons. Same in Titus chapter 1. Um, there's one other term, you mentioned it already, that we use when we talk about the office of pastor or leader in the church, and that is the office of pastor. It's actually a biblical term. Uh, in the Greek, it's the word poimen. Now, that, I don't know why that X is there, probably because I copied it from uh, how, how it was written, so it would be spelt right, but there's no X there in a box. It's supposed to be an E, okay, with a little uh, hyphen over the top of it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, talks about the, the office of pastor or the position of pastor. Paul calls them a gift to the church, 
Okay? Now, on a little bit of a side note, when he talks about a gift to the church, Paul here is not talking about a, a, a spiritual gift or a gift of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, but he calls them a gift of Jesus to the church. Interesting. Um, I remember when I was presenting my ordination paper, which was a long time ago now, as I think back, um, but uh, we were talking about the area of spiritual gifts, and somebody asked me a question. Well, how come you didn't put Ephesians chapter 4 in there as gifts of the Spirit? And I looked at the pastor that asked the question. I said, well, because it's not talking about gifts of the Spirit. It's very clear in Ephesians 4 that Paul says they are gifts of Christ to the church. Spiritual gifts are found in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and several other places in the Scripture. But A pastor is not necessarily a spiritual gift. It is a gift of Christ to the church because Christ calls a pastor into ministry and puts him into ministry. And we believe even places pastors in specific churches for specific periods of time to minister to the people in that area. Okay, so they are gifts of Christ to the church. Don't add to that. Don't take anything away from it. Just simply see them as a gift of Christ to the church. In fact, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read it for you quickly. It says there in verse 8, and then we'll read verses 11 and 12. Therefore, it says, when he, that's Jesus, ascended on high, he, Jesus, led, host, uh, led a host of captives, captives, and he gave gifts to men. That's verse 8. Verse 11 says, and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds or pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, I also remember when we candidated here at Calvary Baptist Church, before we candidated, we had a, I don't think it was a Zoom meeting because Zoom wasn't all that popular at the time. Um, I think it was a Facebook live chat or something like that. Well, Skype, that's what it was. It was Skype. We had a Skype conversation, and the guys on the pulpit committee asked me, um, you know, uh, as a pastor, what, what do you think is important for us as a church to know and understand? I said, well, I think it's important for us to understand that you're not calling me to do the work all by myself at Calvary Baptist Church of Preble. If you want me to come be your pastor, don't ask me to come if you're going to expect me to do everything as far as outreach and discipleship and teaching and all that, because that's not what the Bible says a pastor does. Paul's very specific here. He says a pastor, teacher, trains and equips the body, that's all of you, all of us together, equips the body to do the work of the ministry, okay? So we want to be working together as a body to do what God wants us to do, and that's reaching others, that's discipling others, that's teaching others, that's helping others to understand how we ought to live our lives before God based on the word of God, okay? So they must have been happy with that answer because they called me and they said, hey, would you like to come and candidate? And then you guys voted and said, yes, we'd like you to be our pastor, which we are very thankful and grateful for and thank God for what he continues to do through us as a body of believers. Colleen mentioned, I think it was at our quarterly business meeting, that she was very excited and thankful for the new faces and the people that we see coming. And not just coming once, but coming and coming again and staying. Um, and so we want to thank the Lord for how we together work for the, the cause of the ministry that God has called us to here in Preble, New York. Just a little aside, 
Coming up in September, the last Saturday of the month, we're going to have an opportunity to reach out to our community. We've never done this before either, okay? Uh, we're, we're, we're breaking new ground, all right? Uh, we did a fundraiser for the fire department, God bless there. This fall, we're going to do what we're calling a fall festival, Okay, And we're going to invite people from our community and the communities around us to come and be on our grounds. Maybe in the building, maybe not in the building, but we want to love on our community. We want our community to understand that we care for them and we want to do things that they would be interested in, but we want to represent Christ as we do that. So we're going to be inviting vendors. We're going to be having some booths up, uh, you know, like uh, maybe a cornhole tournament, maybe a dunk tank, maybe a bounce house. Uh, We want you to give us your kind of feedback on the things that you would like to see at a festival and how you might say, hey, I'd like to take that responsibility for that particular area of the festival and I want to work with it and I want to maybe even lead it and organize it, okay? Again, I don't want to do that all by myself, okay? Because if it's all on me, it won't be a very successful fall festival. But if we come together as a body and we work together for that cause to represent our church and our Savior in this area, then it will be a success, and we're going to talk about different things like uh, maybe meals and all, you know, fun times. And, and of course, we want to have an opportunity where we have a spiritual impact on our community as well. So it's not all going to be fun and games. It's going to be a, a spiritual time as well. Maybe we'll set up a, a prayer booth where people can come and say, hey, I have this, like, I'd like you to pray for me about this or whatever. So think about it, pray about it, have ideas, and and please communicate those ideas to us so that we can work on making this an outreach opportunity that will see people come to know Jesus as their Savior and be part of Calvary Baptist Church of Preble. And none of that was in my notes, that's all, uh, but that's part of what we do for ministry. We want to do the ministry for the sake of our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to see other people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That last phrase in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 says, for the building up of the body of Christ. Part of that is adding to the body of Christ as people get saved. Part of that is discipling the body as people come to grow in maturity in their faith. And part of that is just reaching out as a body, building it up uh, so others may come to know Christ as their Savior and grow in their love for God. So when we put all of that together, we see the scripture teaches us that these titles, the title of elder, overseer, pastor, they're all referring to the same office, but to different functions or different roles in that office. Each title gives us more specifics on how one of the two offices in the church, how those offices run. Somebody mentioned the office of deacon. Yes, that's the other of the two offices. As Baptists, we traditionally, and not just traditionally, we biblically hold to the the office, the, the statement of two offices. As we search through scriptures, we believe that the scriptures teaches there are two offices in the body two biblical offices, that of pastor and that of deacon, okay? The other officers that we elect at our annual meetings, they're not spiritual offices. They're offices that some of them are required by our state that say if you're going to operate as a non- nonprofit organization, you have to have trustees, okay? And, and the other, uh, we, we elect uh, treasurers, we elect financial secretaries, or that's not actually the term of, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, we elect different people to fill those roles to make the, uh, make the church run uh, better. 
Okay? So thank you to all those who serve in those offices. And you know what? We look for those qualities in all the individuals that fill our offices, uh, not just the pastor and the deacon to be spiritual people. We want everybody who serves in our church to be spiritual and growing in their relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when you were here a couple of Sunday nights ago, if you were here, we talked about the Baptist distinctives, the biblical distinctives for Baptists. And we saw clearly that one of the things that we as a Baptist church holds to is that of two offices. Peter focuses here in this paragraph on the office of the pastor. Um, and so let's read our text together. We're going to go ahead and stand. We'll read together 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll ask God to bless our time together in his word. Would you read with me? 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. The elders who are among you, I exhort... I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you for our Savior Jesus Christ. He is the chief shepherd, as Peter refers to him in verse 4 of the text we read this morning. Uh, We ask that you would help us as a church, that we would honor our chief shepherd, we would glorify him, we would uh, give him the glory that is due to him. Father, we do also pray for, uh, I pray for myself as the pastor here at Calvary Baptist Church, that I would be the kind of pastor that you desire me to be obedient to your word, uh, shepherding the flock, caring for the flock, teaching, uh, preaching in a way that uh, enhances our growth and allows us to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. I also want to pray for the pastors around our local fellowship, um, each one that faithfully serves you and pastors across our state and across our country and even pastors around the world. Thank you for each one who faithfully proclaims the word of God, faithfully proclaims truth that others may be edified and exhorted and built up in the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for our Savior. We thank you in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Why would Peter include here in this letter to the church's council for the pastors. Now, you've seen throughout our study of 1 Peter so far that Peter is definitely addressing the church as a body. So why does he set out to just talk to the pastors for a paragraph in this letter? Well, I think he wants pastors, obviously, to know how to faithfully service the Lord or service the congregations by serving the Lord. But I also think that he wants the congregations, the people in the pews, I didn't have pews back then, but the people who were reading and listening to this to understand what the pastor is supposed to do, what his role is, what his responsibilities are. And so as we read this, I learn and you learn and we learn together what pastors are supposed to do and what we're supposed to be like. So um, as, we, as we serve the Lord together, we want to be serving in the roles that God has called us to serve. Um, 
So you need to know what I'm supposed to do, and I, of course, need to know what I'm supposed to do. All right. So in verse 1, we see from the pen of the Apostle Peter, camaraderie with the elders. Camaraderie with the elders. I never would have used that word if I didn't live in South Africa. Okay? Um, we had a, there was a marathon they ran every year called the Comrades Marathon. They ran it from Durban to, uh, I think it was Port Elizabeth. Uh, one year, uh, Peter Maritzburg, Peter Maritzburg, one year they won run direction, and the next year they run the next direction. And this marathon, it was such an amazing show of uh, actually brotherly love. Uh, yes, there were guys and girls that were in it to win the marathon. But people ran this marathon that never trained for a marathon. Right, Mark? Um, and, and I'm telling you, one, one runner might collapse, I don't know, 100 meters from the finish line. And two or three other runners would come up alongside of him, pick him up, carry him to the edge of the finish line, because the rules say if you're going to compete and finish, you have to finish on your own strength. So they would carry him up to the edge of the finish line and, and then let him cross the line or her cross the line on their own. That's why they called it the Comrades Marathon. You were in it together. You ran it for each other. Okay, and so there's camaraderie with the elders here that Peter is talking about. Peter addresses the elders, and we've talked about who the elders are, um, but this title refers to men in the church to whom they were committed the office and the direction and the government of these bodies of believers. So he's writing to these men, and yet he wants them to understand, hey, there's an importance in fellowship, when we pastored in South Africa, we didn't have a fellowship of churches to, to get together with. Now, we did get together with churches, but it was never on a fellowship basis. It was to write curriculum for our Bible college, or it was to establish a Christian school for our young people, or it was to get together and start a Christian camp. We did all of those things together, and at those meetings, I would often say, hey, you know, we ought to have a fellowship of church. What? A fellowship of churches, guys. Yeah, it's, it's a good thing. No, 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 we're not into denominations. Uh, well, neither am I. We're not talking about a denomination. We're talking about a fellowship where we get together as churches or as pastors and we encourage one another. They didn't want it. So when we came back to the States and we were looking for a pastor, we wanted to be in a place where we could be part of a fellowship of pastors, a fellowship of churches, we didn't really have that in the first place we pastored. We did have the NF, but even that was kind of, you know, we've done a lot more down in the Hudson Valley in that area since we moved from there than we did before. But anyway, this is a great place to pastor and be part of a local pastor's fellowship. Um, we love getting together with um, the churches around us, like uh, uh, Bible Baptist Dresserville and um, uh, Pastor McCann used to be part of it. Uh, Buchanan in um, Cortlandville. Uh, just all these pastors get together and we, and we have a meal together and, and we serve one another. Sometimes we play games together, uh, but we just get together and you know what we do most of the time? We pray for one another. We pray for our churches that God has blessed us with and entrusted to us and we encourage one another to stay faithful in the ministry. 
And that is so very important to, that you can have camaraderie in the ministry. Peter is encouraging the elders here in verses one through four. And the purpose for writing was to exhort the elders. Did you catch that word? I exhort you. I exhort you. The word exhort means to aid, to help, to comfort, or to encourage. You know, sometimes we go to a pastor's meeting and one of the pastors there is really having a rough time, struggling because things are not going the way they thought they might go or that they would hope they would be going. Um, and so they, would, you just, would you just pray for me? Would you just pray for our church? Would you pray that God would do a work that everybody would see that it's of God and not of me, not of man? So we encourage one another. We try to build one another up. Peter is encouraging the pastors. He wants to help the pastors as they serve the Lord and serve their congregation. He wants to bring comfort to them and to encourage them. And you know what? Peter identifies with the pastors here in our text this morning. He knows that from time to time, pastors need to be encouraged. They need to be ministered to. If you were to call Brian King up or even Jim Vogel and say, hey, what is it that you're, you're supposed to be doing as the director or the assistant director in the Northeast Fellowship? What is your biggest role in that, your biggest job responsibility in that role? They would tell you to minister to the pastors. In fact, Brian says, I'm a pastor to pastors. Pastor to pastors. I want to encourage our pastors. Jim is always, not always, but every time we communicate, he says, hey, let me know if there's something I can do for you or help you in something. Um, and so that's, a, that's an important thing. And, and not just those guys, but we have a, the, the president of, of Clark Summit University. Every time I see him, he says, I'm waiting for an invitation. Uh, I'm waiting to come and preach. I'm waiting to come uh, so, so I can give you a break, so I can encourage you. So just let me know when you want me to come and speak. And I... Just don't do it. I should, but I don't. Um, but anyway, it's those kinds of things that encourage a pastor to know that others are, can I say, for them? Like Barbara and I are speaking at this marriage refresh, this marriage camp. We chose the phrase, I am for you, as the, the better than I love you phrase that we're going to talk about. Um, and it's important to know that others are for you. They're on your side. They're, they're there to get you through the difficult times. Let me just share a few stats, and you could Google this, and you could find hundreds of stats um, about pastors that are leaving the ministry. But here's uh, some, just a few numbers that show that pastors need encouragement as well. It comes from Pastoral Care, Inc., Here's the numbers, and I'm just sharing these with you for no specific reason, just so you know, to pray for pastors, and not just this pastor, but other pastors. 38% of pastors are thinking of quitting the ministry. Whoa, 38, that's one-third. And you know what? When those one-third of pastors quit, there's not like there's a queue of a third of other pastors waiting to take that spot. There aren't pastors waiting to take the spot of pastors who retire, and that's not talking about retirement, that's just talking about quitting. There's not a number of pastors out there waiting to take the spot of those who retire or quit. They're not being filled. Those roles are just simply not being filled for the most part. Hence, we start the NSTM, okay? That's one stat. Another stat, 53% of pastors report that seminary did not prepare them for ministry. Why do you go to Bible college? Why do you go to seminary? To get ready for ministry. <laughs> 53% say that it didn't prepare you. You know what? I never had a course on how to pastor through a pandemic. Never. And yet, by God's grace, we hope we're on the other side of it. 
Yes, and I know people are still getting it, but we got to get back to life. we got to get back to normal. we got to get back to start doing things the way we did them prior to the pandemic. 90% of pastors report the ministry was completely different than what they thought it would be like before they entered the ministry. It's not all that it was cracked up to be. You know, you saw, as I grew up, I saw my pastors pastoring our church. I thought, wow, that's really cool. Maybe I can do that someday. Actually, I didn't really think about being a pastor as much as about being a missionary. Um, But you know what? You can't be a missionary if you're not pastoring the people God who is entrusted to your care. All right? 80% of pastors and 84% of their spouses have felt unqualified and discouraged as role of pastors at least one or more times in their ministry. That's a high number. Not qualified. I'm over my head. Don't know what I'm doing here. God, I need your help. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But that's just, you know, lending towards the idea that pastors need encouragement. 40% report serious conflict with a parishioner at least once in the last year. (laughs) And that was, these numbers are actually pre-COVID. Okay? Um, I remember one time I went to visit a lady. She, asked, she called me up and said, hey, we're having problems. Uh, can you come visit us? And she was an older lady living with her daughter. Um, and her son, one of her sons had come to visit and was causing issues in the home. So I'm sitting down there and we're talking. Um, and the, her son, who had probably had too much to drink, um, didn't like something that I said. And he stood up and he said, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of what you're saying. I hadn't even said that much. I'm tired of what you're talking about. I don't want to hear it. Um, and Sandy, his mother, said, please sit down and be quiet. Pastor's here to visit with us. And uh, so he got rather violent, and so much so that their son, who as I think was in his early 20s, her, Sandy's grandson, came up, picked up his uncle, took him outside, and said, leave, you're not welcome here. Because he was going to, well, I don't know what he was going to do, but it was, not, it was getting very testy, okay? So 40% of pastors have reported that, yes, they've had serious conflict with parishioners in the past. Now, we've never had that here, praise the Lord, okay? Um, so 70% of pastors do not have someone they consider to be a close friend. Yeah, that's tough, you know, it's important to have somebody that you can call your friend. And so again, I'm thankful, so very thankful for our church family and for our fellowship of local churches and for our NF. Now, I have the privilege of serving on the NLT, the leadership council. I also have the privilege of serving on the school board, uh, the NSTM board. And, um, and so I have the opportunity to really get to know some of these guys and, and have you know, the opportunity to to, to call them or text them or say, hey, you know, this is going on. Could you pray for me? Um, or, hey, I'm encountering this and I'm really struggling with how to... And, and sure, they say, yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually had a friend in South Africa one day. I called him up and I, I started crying over the phone to him. And he said, hey, what's the matter? He said, I'm coming. Sorry. He got in his car and he came. So it's important to have accountability. It's important to have friends in the ministry. And I have them. But you also got to pray for those guys who don't. 
Talked to a man one time. He said, hey, I'm struggling. Having a hard time. How do you, how do you get to have, have your church think about changing the way they do things? And I said, change. It's a challenge. It's difficult. It doesn't come easy. You got to go slow. Yeah, but you've changed things where you are. I said, well, it's not me. We've changed them as a body. We've changed them as a church. We, we've worked together to bring it about. And, and so he's pouring his heart out to me. Little did I know that next Sunday he resigned from his church. Oh, if I only knew. But you don't. So it's important for Peter to identify with his pastors. It's important for us as pastors to identify with one another. And I'm so thankful for you who identify with me as we pastor and as we serve the Lord together. You know, I never plan to get emotional in a message. But anyway, that's where we let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does, huh? So anyway, I don't want you to think that I've shared these statistics with you because they necessarily reflect something that I feel. Although I would agree with some of these statistics. Um, Bible college didn't adequately train me, not because they did a bad job, but there's no way to know every single situation that you're going to face in ministry. And you know what? It's the same in your job. You might be trained to do something uh, in you get, into the, you get hired to do that job and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, nobody ever told me how to do this. How do I do that? I mean, think of a mechanic 20 years ago. Do you think a mechanic, if he only knew what was available 20 years ago and tried to be a mechanic today, that he would be successful? We were just talking to Doug about his vehicle that he purchased. He's, he's like, there's so much, that has more, more stuff on it probably than the space shuttle has on it. There's so much technology that has changed in 20 years. You got to keep learning and growing, and it's so important to have people who can help you do that. So yes, Bible college didn't adequately train me to be a pastor in 2022, but that's okay. It equipped me. It helped me have the tools to be able to learn and continue to learn and, and to shepherd the flock of God. Ministry is different than you thought it would be. Yeah, it is. But again, that's true for most things. As, as ministry for us, we started in church planning, and now God has brought us back and placed us here in Preble, and we're very thankful for that. We didn't think that we were going to be back in America pastoring churches when we started ministry. We thought we would, as they say, die with our boots on in Africa. But God had different plans. And so praise the Lord for that. Ever been discouraged in ministry? Yeah. We've cried and we've, we've done different, you know, oh man, God, do we keep going on? Yes, because that's what God has called us to. But again, you struggle with those same things in your work, whatever God has called you to do. And so it's why together is so important. Fellowship and camaraderie is a must in the ministry, as well as in just the body of Christ. Well, let's move on as we think about 
going from encouraging the elders, Peter also wants to edify the elders. And he does that by identifying with them. So we have edification through identification. It is very encouraging to know that you are not in something all on your own. Peter reminded the elders he was writing to that he was also an elder. And Peter could identify with the feeling of failure as a leader. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, do you remember what Peter did the night that Jesus was crucified, the night that Jesus was on trial before he was crucified? He denied him. I don't know that man. You crazy? What are you talking about? I never met that man before in my life. Not just once, but three times. Peter felt awful after he denied the Lord. And you know what? The Lord restored him to a right relationship with him. And he can do that for anyone else. The Lord can do that for anyone who desires to be right with him. God is in the restoration business. He restores pastors. He restores people. That's what he wants to do. And he does it better than anybody else. Sometimes restoration, you almost have to tear everything apart before you can put it all back together. I mean, ask Mark about his house. They, I'm sure they love their house now. They're happy with what they have, but it wasn't easy to get there. Now his mom and dad are doing something similar. <laughs> um, but you see, there's the taking apart, and then there's the adding back, and uh, it's, it's a process. But in the end, you are what you need to be, or you have what you need to have. And God does that in our lives. He edifies us. He builds us up. Did you catch the last part of the phrase in verse 1 where it says, a witness to the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed? You know what that is? That's being restored. That's restoration. This is what Peter is talking about. Even though he sinned greatly and let the Lord down. Can you identify with that? I can. Even though he let the Lord down and he was, he was a failure. He would tell you that. So much so that he said, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know. I'm quitting. But God restored him. God brought him back. God allowed him to be the first part of the, of the uh, foundation of the early church. The first preacher, if you will. Acts chapter 2, Peter preached and 5,000 people got saved. Hallelujah. If you would have asked Peter a week before that message, if he thought he would be doing something like that, I'm going fishing. Can't do it. And we can't in our own strength. We need God. We need the Holy Spirit working in and through us. So you may be here this morning not as an elder or as a pastor, but you may be listening to this sermon, and you may need to hear the fact that God is a restorer. God is a rebuilder. God is a forgiving God, and God is a God who allows broken sinners to be restored and useful to him again in ministry. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Because all of us have been there. Peter wants to edify by identifying with his readers. Well, in verses 2 and 3, we have commands to the elders. 
commands. After an encouraging word, Peter moves on to remind the elders what they've been called to do. He puts it this way. Let me read it for you again. We read it already once, but let me read it for you. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over them entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. Peter says, first of all, shepherd them. Shepherd them. This idea of shepherding was personal for Peter. After he denied the Lord, Peter was challenged by the Lord. We read about it over in John chapter 21. You're probably familiar with that passage. Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Here's how the conversation went. Jesus, he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, that word love there, that's that word agape. You know, that's that sacrificial love that looks for the other's best interest. It's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated for us on the cross. Jesus, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, Yes, Lord, I love you. Now, interesting thing is, Peter doesn't use agape for love. Probably understanding his great failure on the night that Jesus was arrested. I don't measure up to that, God. (laughs) But I I like you like a brother. He used the word brotherly phileo for brotherly love. Um, Peter couldn't muster up within himself the, uh, the ability to say, I agape you. I, I will do whatever you ask me to do, no matter what the cost. He couldn't identify with that. He wouldn't claim the highest form of love. He had done that just hours before his betrayal. Jesus was talking about how the sheep would be scattered, and Jesus said, oh, no, no, not me, Jesus. Even when it gets really bad, even if all the rest of them run away from you, I'm with you to the end. <laughs> Jesus said, if that was only true. You see, Jesus knew already what Peter was going to do. But Peter was adamant, I love you, Jesus. I agape you. And then a few hours later, who's that guy? I don't know who that guy is. So Jesus says, or Peter's response is, I really, really, really like you, Jesus. I have an affection towards you. Second time after Peter answers, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you agape me? He uses the same word for love. Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I really, 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 really like you. Third time, Peter. And by the way, you notice how Jesus was addressing Peter, Simon, son of John. He wasn't calling him Peter. Simon, son of John was the name that Peter used before he came to know, become a follower of Jesus. Simon, son of John, do you even like me? Jesus changed words from agape to phileo. Oh, that had to destroy Peter. Peter just got done twice saying, yes, I like you. I really, 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 really like you. 
Jesus says, Peter, do you even have any affection for me at all? And Peter says, Jesus, you know all things. Let's go back to that idea of Simon, son of John. There's something in a name, right? If I say, hey, Micah, can you come over here and help me? Or I can say, Micah Ivan Mowers, get over here now! There's a difference, isn't there? Simon, son of Jonah, do you even like me? Yes, Lord, you know. You know I like you. All that to say, Peter is in a place in his life where he needs encouragement. And who encouraged him? Jesus. We may be in a spot in our lives where we need encouragement. And Jesus is there to encourage us. But that's not what we want to focus. I want to focus on the conversation. After he said, I love you each time, Jesus had an instruction for Peter. Because Jesus knew Peter was going to be restored and Jesus knew that Peter was going to be a pastor. He was going to be an elder. So the first time that Peter says, I love you, Jesus says to him, then Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Feed is the Greek word bosco. It is the responsibility of a herdsman to pasture and feed his livestock. Listen to MacArthur how he describes feeding the sheep. It is the same responsibility given to every pastor as Paul pointed out in Acts chapter 20 verse 28 and as Peter himself exhorted in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 2. Peter instructed young pastor Timothy that the means to doing this, the means to feeding the sheep is to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That's how a pastor feeds the lambs. Notice those words. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Reprove. Show them the correct way that they should do things. Rebuke. When they're doing something wrong, correct them. Tell them that they're doing something wrong and correct them. Exhort, teach them the right way. That's, the, that's how you feed the sheep. But you do it with great patience and instruction. The second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then Peter, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. It's not feed my lambs, it's tend my sheep. The the sheep are a little older, so they're not lambs anymore. They're sheep. And he's not saying feed them, but he's saying tend them. It's similar to the word poimeno, that we get poimen from, pastor. Okay, Having more the idea of herding or leading them to a safe pasture. Think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. The whole thing there in Psalm 23 is the idea of a shepherd. Pastors are to shepherd their sheep. Shepherd them, lead them, give them a safe place to be. But again, showing the responsibility to care for the sheep. Third time, Peter, do you even like me? Yes, Lord, you know everything. I really, really like you. Feed my sheep. 
So he goes back to the word bosco, where it's talking about providing what is necessary to cause growth in the life of the sheep. Feed my sheep. Talking about older lambs now, older, whatever you call them, not lambs, but sheep. There's maturity there in the process. They were not Peter's sheep, though. Notice what Jesus said every time. My sheep, my sheep, my sheep. Okay, The sheep, you are not my sheep. You are God's sheep. And I try not to refer to my church, unless it's in the sense that I'm part of the church. I try not to refer to my deacons as my deacons. There are deacons. This is our church. We are primarily and first and foremost God's deacons and God's church and God's sheep. And we must remember that. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter, remember when you're caring for these people that they are not your people, they are my people. Love them like my people. Love them like my sheep. Here's the great news in all of this. Since we are the Lord's sheep, we can know this. The Lord doesn't lose any of his sheep. Even if the pastor forgets to call you, forgets that you're having a surgery and doesn't pray with you before the surgery, and if I've done that, I'm sorry, but sometimes you have to let me know that you're going to have a surgery before I can pray for you to have surgery. I've told you before, one of the things that's not a qualification for a pastor is a mind reader. So if you have a need that you, you want us to be praying for as a church, you've got to share that with us. Because I will pray for you if I know that you have a need. But sometimes you forget. Sometimes it doesn't happen, even though you have the greatest intentions to do it. Sometimes it doesn't. But Jesus never forgets. Jesus never fails us. Jesus never lets us down. We are to care for the sheep the greatest possible way we can care for them. But remember that Jesus is the chief shepherd. So not only is Peter telling him to shepherd the flock, but he says, serve the flock. This is an interesting word. Sometimes we tend to look down on the word service, or, or, or maybe we even think that is beneath us to be servants. But Matthew chapter 28, 20, verse 28 reminds us, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? He came to serve. Service is part of what we do as a body of, individu- as a body of believers as, and as individuals in the body. If Jesus was a servant, certainly your pastor should be a servant. And even the rest of the congregation should be willing to take upon themselves the role of a servant. Peter's main thought here is not the fact that they should be serving, but is how they should be serving. How does a pastor serve his congregation? Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not because you're forced to do it, but because it's the desire of your heart to do it. A pastor should not force the congregation into service, but should rather encourage them to serve willingly, just as he should be serving willingly. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Scripture often reminds us that a a pastor should not be serving for the paycheck. It's not why we do it. It helps, but it's not why we do it. Okay? We must serve willingly. We must serve 
eagerly, not for dishonest gain, not so that you can go to the bank and and get a big paycheck. When we talked about, as I candidated here, we never talked about what I would be paid on a weekly basis. I don't call Carol up on Monday and say, hey, Carol, you forgot my check. What's the deal? I don't think I've ever done that, have I, Carol? That's not why we do it. That's not why we serve the Lord. We serve the Lord because he's placed that calling upon us. And we want to do it. It's our heart's desire to serve. And you see, he says, you serve eagerly. It's a, that's a telling word. Not begrudgingly or because I have to, but because I know it honors the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. I told you I looked at those stats up on pastoralcare.com uh, or pastoralcareinc. Lots of reasons pastors are leaving ministries because they didn't think they had enough money. And that's too bad. That's not why pastors should be in the pastoral ministry. He goes on, he says, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, the role of the pastor is not one of power and authority. It's not a power grab. A pastor does not serve for the opportunity to be the boss or the head honcho. He serves because it glorifies the Lord. It also is important for him to set the right kind of mindset or the example for the flock. The Bible Knowledge Commentary makes the following observations. It says, pastors are not to, be, are not to drive God's people, but to lead them by their example of mature Christian character. I told, our de- I told the pulpit committee when they called me to be the pastor here that, that my style of leadership is not one that cracks the whip. I want to do it together. I want, to, I want to work together with the leadership that's already established, the leadership that the church chooses. I want to work together and lead our church family in a way that honors the Lord. If you're looking for a dictator, not me. So we serve willingly. We serve not as the domineering influencer, but one who wants to be an example of loving leadership Servant leadership, if you will. Well, let's wrap it up with verse 4, where we have the crowning of the elders. Verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Peter concludes his exhortation of pastors with the reminder that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. I've been having a conversation with a friend of mine on the internet, um, used to be part of our church in South Africa, who, who... Shouts out loud on the internet, if you will. Jesus has already come. He came back in 70 AD and all the prophecies have been fulfilled. He's not coming again. I'm like, really? Really? If Jesus is in control right now uh, and things are supposed to be like they are in the millennial kingdom, uh, I'm not impressed. That's not anything sacrilegious. It's just saying, it's not that good. Jesus couldn't beat COVID? Jesus couldn't deal with this? Jesus couldn't do it? What about the war? No, Jesus has not come yet. And when he comes, we will know it. Every eye will see him. Now, we'll go first. He, he also doesn't like that idea. But we'll go first. And, and then we're coming back with him. He doesn't like that either. But you know what? That's what scripture teaches. So too bad. The truth is, Jesus has not come. He is coming. And when he comes, certain things are going to happen. Elf, I hope you're listening. 
because Jesus is coming again. If you read scripture and you interpret scripture literally, you cannot say that is not going to happen. So what is Peter giving us here? He's giving us accountability. If Jesus has already come, who, why does it matter how I serve as a pastor? I have nothing to live for, look forward to. Jesus is coming again, so if he's coming again, I better be doing what he asked me to do the way he told me to do it. Get ready, because he's coming. The chief shepherd is coming back. It makes me think of the parable of the talents. Jesus told it himself. The master gave talents that were to be stewarded while he was away, while the master was away, because the master was coming back. When the master returned, um, and he didn't tell them when he was coming, he simply caught them by surprise, just like the return of Jesus will. He came, and he called the, stu- the, the stewards to him, and he says, hey, what have you done with what I entrusted to you? And the first one said, master, Lord, if you will, you gave me five talents. I took those five talents. I worked those five talents. And here I'm giving you back your five talents. And I'm giving you five more to go with them. So I'm giving you ten talents. What's the master say? Well done. Good job. And he says, and you, number two, what have you done? Oh, master, you gave me two. It was only two. But I took those two talents that you gave me. I took those things that you gave me and entrusted to my care, and I worked them. And here's your two talents that you gave me, and here's two more that those two talents have earned under my care. And Jesus says, well done. Good job. You did it, you did it just the way you should have done it. And then the last one, he says, and you. Oh, master, I took that talent you gave me. And I know you're tough. I know you're hard. You're kind of like a slave driver, if you will. So I took that talent, and I buried it in the ground. And when I heard you came back, I went and I dug up the talent, and I brought it back, and here's your one talent, just the way you gave it to me. Oh, here's, clean it up for you. There it is. And and the master says, you wicked and slothful servant. You say that I'm a hard master. You should have taken what I gave you and worked it and reproduced it. You see, that's the goal of the church. That's the goal of the pastor, to reproduce. Praise God for reproduction. We've had a couple of salvations. Brian mentioned that. He says, I'm excited about the good reports I hear. When a person gets saved, it's not because I've done anything. It's not because you've done anything. It's because God has been at work in their heart and God brought them to an understanding of trusting Christ as their Savior. To God be the glory. But that's what it's about, reproducing. Wouldn't it be great if we heard about a salvation every week at Calvary Baptist Church? But we can't if we're not doing our part, if we're not working as we ought to be working. So it's important that we have this understanding of accountability. We are not, you're not accountable to me, and like it or not, I'm not really accountable to you. But we're all accountable to who? To our Savior, Jesus Christ, to the chief shepherd. And then he talks about awards. For those pastors that serve well, there's a reward. It's not an earthly reward, but it's a heavenly reward. Now, before we get to thinking that this is our motivation for serving, oh, we're going to get crowns, we should remember that the crowns that we get, I don't think those crowns are ever going to touch our head. I think when God gives us a crown, we take that crown and we cast it back at our Savior's feet and we say, it's all because of you. 
To you be the glory. You did this. You, you allowed me to be a tool that you used. Not about me. It's all about you. And the crown that Peter talks about, you can have a crown as well. It's all about faithfully serving our great God. We, we serve the one who is entrusted to us the word of God, the message of salvation, the opportunity to impact others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love the way gotquestions.org explains what Peter's talking about here. It says, the crown of glory. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Though Peter is addressing the elders, we must also remember that the crown will be awarded to all those who long for or love his appearing. This word glory is an interesting word referring to the very nature of God and his actions. It entails his great splendor and brightness. Recall Stephen who, whilst being stoned to death, was able to look into the heavens and see the glory of God, Acts chapter 7. This word also means the the praise and honor we bestow to God alone that is due him because of who he is. It also recognizes that believers are incredibly blessed to enter into the kingdom, into the very likeness of Christ himself. For as Paul so eloquently put it, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. To those who love and long for the appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, that's our blessed hope. That's the crown of glory. Not just for me, not just for pastors, but for all those who love and look for the return, which is future, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So remember how I said on Mother's Day that this sermon was not just for mothers? This sermon was not just for me today. It's a good reminder for me. I need it but it's also for a reminder for all of us to understand what God expects from us, what God wants from us as we serve him together as a body of believers. I need to pray that I will be the pastor that God wants me to be to you as his sheep. You need to pray for this pastor, that he will be the pastor that God wants him to be to you as, we, as I shepherd you. We need to pray for other pastors, fellow pastors around the area, around the state, and yes, around the country, that we will have the impact that our churches need to have in the world in which we live. We need to reach out to the world around us, and we need to see God do a work through our church in our community to show others that Jesus loves them and Jesus died for them. Communicate the gospel to them in a way that maybe they've never heard it presented in such a way. And you know what happens? It all bears eternal rewards. Not just the here and now. We had the opportunity to help a young lady who had uh, female surgery last week. We took some money out of the deacon's fund. She was flabbergasted. Couldn't believe that we would do that for her. She texted back and she said, Pastor, I want to I I meet you face to face. We only met once in the food truck line. She said, I, I want to come and talk to you and tell you how much I'm thankful for what your church has done for me. That's making a difference. And we can't do that for everybody, but we can certainly try. As we have opportunity, as God allows and God blesses us, we can do those kinds of things to help us build bridges in the lives of people. And they might come to know Jesus as their Savior. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this great reminder of how we are to be about your business. Whether it's the pastor or the people in the pew, help us to be about the business of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to to represent you well. Help us to eagerly take advantage of the opportunities to present Christ to those who need to know Jesus as Savior. Help us to present and live out Christ to those who already know him but need to be encouraged, need to be exhorted. Uh, Paul used the words reprove, rebuke, and exhort. May our lives do that in the love of Christ the way our Savior did that to us. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you. Help us to be faithful in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.